0: Hello and welcome to On the Horizon. This podcast is an extension of the Horizon Church, a relationally driven, socially conscious, Jesus-centered church located in the heart of Towson, Maryland. We're recording today from Dean Studios. Thank you, Bryce. My name is Beth McDonald. I'm your host, and today we'll be talking about the Enneagram, all things Enneagram with Amy Price. Amy is a licensed professional counselor and the clinical director of Terra Counseling in Baltimore. She has been in private practice for 10, more than 10 years. Is that right, Amy?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Great. Amy and I met serving on the board of directors for Araminta Freedom Initiative. We're both on the board, um, which is a nonprofit that works to end uh, trafficking of minors in the state of Maryland. Um, Hey, Amy. Hi. Welcome. you so much for having me, Beth. Uh, did I get your intro right? You did. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Tell me
1: about Tara, the name Tara Counseling. Oh, that's a great question. So I, we were going back and forth about names, and this was about two years ago that we started Tara. Mm-hmm. Um, you and your husband, My just, husband right? and I, yep, started Tara, and we were talking about names that really... Kind of got after the intent and the desire of what we wanted to convey as a practice and we had gone through just a whole litany of them and we i was listening to a song at one point and he was talking about terra firma Mm -hmm. and i thought how much i love that that latin phrase and the idea of being rooted and grounded Mm in in from Earth. And so that's where it developed out of that. And so we decided to clip it to Terra instead of Terra Firma. Right. Yeah. But oh, that's T-E-R-R-A, how it developed. R-R-A, right? It is T-E-R-R-A. And we use a lot of kind of grounded and rooted metaphors mm. in our practice. And we also have a lot of aesthetic themes that fit. I love that. Thank you. I really love that name. So you live with your husband, Jeff. Yep. Who else do you live with? <laughs> My adorable son, Emmett, nice. who's awesome and precocious. (laughs) He's four and a half years old and very active. Yeah. Um, And then we have our dog Tucker as well, who is very rascally, but very lovable. Nice. I love it. He's a beagle and he's 10 years old, but still acts like he's two. Cute.
0: Is he a howler?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, And how do you spend your days? Um, A lot of time spent at work right now. We're you know, in, in year two of a startup with our business, and so that's been incredibly busy and mm-hmm. rewarding, and um, so a lot of time is spent there kind of doing the clinical work and overseeing my awesome staff, so yeah, and when mm-hmm. I'm not there, spending time with, with my little man and yeah. playing baseball and all that good stuff. I know, you're a big baseball family, we, right? We are a big baseball family. Are you Orioles? Oh, yeah. Are you born and bred
0: Baltimore yes. person? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yep.
1: You- You've always been an Orioles fan, then. Always been an Orioles fan, and, and the tradition continued through the next generation. My son's middle name is Brooks. Oh, after there Brooks you Robinson. Go. So, yeah, he's, and he loves going to Camden Yards. We have season tickets, and he loves being there.
0: Good. It's a beautiful park.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, we're here, to, as much as I would love to hear more about Emmett, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're here to talk about the Enneagram, mm-hmm. which. It feels like all of a sudden I'm hearing about it everywhere. I, fir- I think I first heard about it um, a few years ago. I think some of the podcasts I listened to started talking about it. Yeah. Uh, but now it feels like it's just everywhere. It is everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How would you define it? I have people say, well, what is any? Some people have never, haven't heard of it. What yeah. is any How would you describe it?
1: Yeah, the the Enneagram is really a personality typology. typology. It has nine different personality types, and Enneagram means Ennea is from the Greek nine and Gramma from the Greek um, for drawing. And so it's a nine-point figure um, that represents nine neutral types that people could be typed into. So you said it's a a personality a
0: typology, typology. or a
1: personality, a way of kind of viewing the construct of personality.
0: Sure. So how how is that different than Myers-Briggs or DISC or any of the other personality yeah. typologies?
1: Yeah. So one of the main differences um, that I've observed is that uh, assessments like that tend to just kind of provide information about the personality type, but they don't look at... The layers of development the way the Enneagram does much more comprehensively mm-hmm. and they also don't look at the ways that we react or interact with our personality types mm-hmm. under stress and under relaxed conditions and so that's something unique that the Enneagram brings to the table so it has kind of the core personality traits and then it looks at how those traits kind of shift and emerge and interact under different circumstances
0: I think that's what I found
1: intriguing.
0: Yeah. Is that it wasn't, this is who I am, this mm-hmm. is what I'm always going to be like, and just get, get used to it. Right. It, it felt like there was more growth,
1: room for growth, more growth minded. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very, it's not static like some of the, the other assessments can appear to be, right. it's very dynamic. And therefore, it allows for a lot of opportunities for growth and perspective building and development. Absolutely. So, when did you first hear about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Interestingly, I heard about it way before it was popular. Mm -hmm. I heard about it in two thousand eight, about ten years ago. Okay. um, At a practice, a counseling practice I was at previously, they used the Enneagram. As one of their main personality assessments and what was cool about that practice is that they would bring assessments in early on in the process so they would have people take the Enneagram and a couple other assessments to really get a pretty comprehensive picture of that person and their personality and the way they interacted under stress and who they were so I heard about it then um, and then you know was it was a while after that before other people really started to kind of grab grab mm-hmm. onto that and mm-hmm. it became much more popular or emerged in mainstream That I noticed. So you so. use
0: it in your practice?
1: I do use it in my practice. Yep, yeah, it's I use it more loosely in my practice now. Okay. A lot more people have heard about the Enneagram mm-hmm. and know about it and have already either been typed by a relative right. or typed themselves um, or taken the assessment. So it's less often now that I actually give them a formal assessment Mm -hmm. and more of them coming in saying, yeah, I already know what my type is. Let's talk about it. Right. Which is great. Right. Different ways to kind of open that conversation and dialogue.
0: So I had, we, I threw out uh, an opportunity for people to give me questions from Facebook. One of them kind of has to do with the fact you're using it in your practice. Are there validity studies? Are there studies that show, because it, I think some Mm -hmm. people feel it's almost like folk wisdom. Right. As opposed to
1: a scientific. As opposed to something that's more empirically validated. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the important thing to understand is that the Enneagram is a typology which is different than it being an assessment per se. So it's a personality construct, but there are a couple different well-vetted assessments that people use to measure the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a variety of ways that people find out their type and one can be through kind of a narrative format um, one can be through the assessments and through other means so there's different ways that people approach it but for the assessments there's the ready which comes out of the Enneagram Institute and then another main one is uh, the WEPS Enneagram assessment mm-hmm. which is out of Loyola Chicago and that's okay um, the Wagner assessment so they have I've seen for both of those assessments that there have been multiple reliability and validity studies that have measured um, the validity of it with with pretty sound results mm-hmm. um, I can't point to the the particular research at you know at this point but right. um, I think there's a lot of merit to some of the validity of the way the assessment measures it
0: right so it's not just folk
1: wisdom It's not just folk wisdom <laughs> there you know there's certainly, there's an interesting history and there's a lot of variance in um, how the Enneagram was found or right. discovered, you know. and I mean, I've
0: heard everything from the desert, that it goes back to the Desert Fathers. Right, right. Back in the, you know, first, second, third century, all the way to more recent history. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, do you think it's all true that it kind of, Evolved over
1: time. Um, That's a great question. You know, I I've heard so many and varied stories. Mm -hmm. I think that there's there's some truth in there about all of it and Mm -hmm. how it came out in certain phases of history and probably evolved over time and developed. So, yeah, I think it's it's been an in an evolutionary state, and I don't know if it was more of kind of a, a primitive metric at the time mm-hmm. back then, and it's become more evolved since. Right. So. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Has it helped you personally in yeah. addition to use, being used in your practice? A-
1: absolutely. I, I think it's, it's always profound when you can take an assessment like that, a tool like that, and kind of layer on, um, different ways of understanding yourself and putting new language to that. And mm-hmm. one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about the Enneagram is the language that it puts to the human experience. Um, I like the particular language that it uses because I feel like it's very universal and flexible and can be very appealing mm-hmm. in a variety of settings to a variety of different people. Um, and one of the things that's really cool about the Enneagram is that you start with the very basic bare-bone typology so what are these nine types and where do I fit in that right but then it really gets layered on that so you start to add things like your wing type which we'll talk about right and the levels of development that you can go through to maintain growth and the how you react under stress and relaxed conditions so There's a scaffolding process that's really comprehensive Mm -hmm. to help us look at ourselves from different angles. Right, right. That's why the more I've read
0: about it, the more uh, in depth it goes, and the Mm -hmm. more nuance Mm
1: -hmm. there
0: is. I think when we for a lot of us have read the Road Back to You, right, which feels like a really good primer, Mm -hmm. um, but it there's a lot more nuance and depth to it. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're just tapping the surface there, mm-hmm. and it is just deep and layered, and there's absolutely nuance and depth. Right. There's so much you can discover over time.
0: Let's let's get into the nine types, yeah. Um which I think people really want to hear about, and um, and then we'll we'll ask some more questions, and we can kind of base it off maybe some of the numbers. And um, so, do you want to go through the nine?
1: Absolutely, that sounds great. Um, Yeah, so there are the the nine types. And I can share some descriptors of those types. And then a lot of times with the typology, you'll talk about the basic fear or mm -hmm. basic drive or basic motivations. And as I said, these initial types are really just the bare bones. They're Mm -hmm. just kind of the minimum understanding of the basic personality traits. And there's so much more nuance and complexity to understand understanding who we are right and one of the things that's important before i kind of get into the types here is that people often will mistype themselves or others because they'll look at behavioral traits that they Mm -hmm. see in someone that might fit one of the types when in reality what we need to assess to understand what somebody's type is is what is their basic motivation or drive right So I've included here kind of the basic fear for each type because that gets at the heart of the motivation or drive. Sure.
0: Sure. That's good. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So so again, these are value-neutral numbers. So there is no better number than another. So type 1 is the first one, and it's often called the reformer. Type 1s are often very principled, purposeful, Mm self-controlled, and perfectionistic. They really like structure and order. That's and, good. Yeah. yeah, and and the basic fear for type one is of being evil or corrupt. Mm. So it's kind of that really deep, primitive or primal fear. There.
0: That's good. That makes sense. The I I've heard that ones have an inner critic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of. You need to get it right. Yeah. There's a constant. There voice is in
1: their mind. Yes, absolutely. There's there can be a a significant internal dialogue for ones around internal self-criticism. And we'll talk later on about the different emotions. Okay. Um, There's different categories of emotions that different types have. And so we'll get get into that a little bit more, but that plays into it as well. But definitely the inner critic is kind of that perfectionistic inner voice Mm. that drives a lot of behavior for them. Okay. Yeah. So then the type two is the helper. They're also sometimes called the loving type and they're, they tend to be generous demonstrative people-pleasing they can also be possessive or controlling Mm. so you can see in these descriptors that there's positives and negative descriptors to each trait or each type so the basic fear for the two is of being unloved or unwanted by others Mm. and so really there's a lot of the loving themes that are driving that for them right yeah so then the, the third type is type three, the achiever. They are adaptable, excelling, they're driven, and they're image conscious. Mm. So it's a very performance-based type. And a lot of times people will, will see, A lot of people like to type celebrities, and they'll look Mm -hmm. at some of the rock star celebrities who are very performance-based or Mm -hmm. achievement-oriented. And so people often talk about Oprah as being, like, one of the quintessential type threes. Right. Yeah. Sure. So they're very driven and industrious Mm -hmm. as well. So the basic fear for the three is of being unaccomplished and worthless. Mm. So not fulfilling their calling of being productive. Right. Right. Yeah. So then... The fourth is the individualist. The individualist tends to be expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. This is a very creative type or is often pegged as the creative type Mm -hmm. um, classically. And their their fear is of not being unique Mm -hmm. or not having a significant identity.
0: Now, I've heard a lot of artists tend to be Mm -hmm. fours.
1: Yep. Absolutely, and that's that's a classic um conception about fours is, is that they're the artistic type, and there are a lot of mm-hmm. artists who identify with that and the desire to be unique and kind of make their own imprint in the world
0: sure, sure, that makes sense
1: and then type five is the investigator, they're perceptive, innovative, but also secretive and isolated. so this type really wants to be the expert. they can also be called the wise type mm-hmm. so they can look a lot like a detached observer mm-hmm. where they're kind of separate from the world kind of emotionally withdrawn and distant but uh, taking it all in and mm-hmm. kind of piecing together the information and so their fear is of being helpless and inadequate mm-hmm. yeah Bertie band
0: Wanted to know who your favorite five was. I'm assuming he thinks it's him because he's a five. Uh-huh. Shout out to Brody from Horizon. My husband's a five, so I'm sorry, Brody, but he's my favorite He clearly five. has to be the
1: favorite five in the room. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Six. The six is the loyalist. A loyalist is engaging, responsible, but also anxious and suspicious. The basic fear for type 6 is of being without support or guidance. Mm-hmm. And one of the important things to note is the 6 is the only type that has kind of two divergent paths that they right. can take. So the 6 can either be phobic or counterphobic. So either they avoid the things that they are afraid of or they can kind of plunge straight into the things that they fear the most. And right. they can tip between the two as well. And then types and- and oh. then their fear Oh I'm sorry. Their That's fear okay. fear is being without support or guidance. Oh right, you said that. You said that. So being without that support mm-hmm. to kind of help them with the frenetic anxiety or that experience of right. ongoing anxiety. Right. And then type seven is the enthusiast. They're spontaneous, versatile, quit inquisitive, and scattered as well. Mm-hmm. So again, A lot of you can see the positive and negatives that emerge in each of the types right and the basic fear for them is of experiencing deprivation or pain Mm. so pain avoidance is really important to the seven yeah and then type eight they are the challengers they're self-confident decisive willful and confrontational and their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others so oftentimes they'll get pegged as the one who may want to control before they're controlled. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely misconceptions. It's really not that they want to impose their will as much on other people as they don't want the will imposed on them. Right, right. So they kind of take charge before somebody yes. takes charge of them. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And then the last one is the nine, the peacemaker. They're receptive, reassuring, and can also be complacent and resigned. Mm. And the fear for the nine is of loss and separation from others. So spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure I'm a nine. (laughs) (laughs) Is there more you want to say about your experience of that? My experience as a
0: nine? I have have to say it has been very helpful Mm -hmm. for me to become more aware, self-aware of what I'm doing and why. Mm -hmm. And it's also giving me language to talk about it, particularly with my husband, with Steve. Yeah. So to explain why I am not getting done what the important thing and doing all these other things instead of what I should be doing. Sure. And I'll realize more quickly that I'm doing that. Yeah. And be able to correct it. Mm-hmm. but also be able to explain it mm-hmm. to him. And vice versa, he is, his uh, going into the Enneagram has been able to explain his own behaviors and his being able to tell me why he's doing
1: what he's doing. It's been really very eye-opening and helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It creates tremendous self-awareness. Yeah. And with that self-awareness, we can then better choose how we're responding right. rather than falling into those responses.
0: So, do you think? I know there's debate whether a narrative or test mm-hmm. is more helpful. I had somebody ask me on Facebook. They, they thought they were three different numbers. Can you be three different numbers? And which, I know you're you're one main number, and you can have wings. Right. Wings. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think of being able to figure out the motivation. Mm-hmm. In a narrative form, the drive is helpful. I had someone I was talking to that couldn't decide if they were a nine or a one. Yeah. Because they were trying to get things right. Mm -hmm. And so in the conversation I said, are you doing that because you think there's one right way to do it and it needs to be done that way? Or are you doing that to keep peace within a situation? And it turned out this a lot. I don't really care how it's done. I am trying to keep Piece, so I feel like that, which meant they were more of a nine. Yeah, I
1: assume. So it, I feel like that motivation, it's invaluable. Is so helpful. Yeah, one of the things that I'll say is that they're really, it, sometimes it's type p- specific as to where you want to start with the enneagram kind of exploration oh, and journey. Yeah. So different types might tend towards one or the other. Um, I would say that the best way to do it is in community, which is what you're talking about. So if you take the test, then it's coming back to friends and family and and engaging in Mm -hmm. that dialogue. So then you add in that narrative element as well. There's actually books as well that kind of walk you more through some of the narrative elements of it and how to kind of craft that story surrounding it. So I would say both. Right. Um, Right. And sometimes you don't need the assessment. Sometimes you read the book or a book Mm -hmm. and that helps you like the road back to you helps you to kind of identify it and piece that together. And then you start to develop out more the ways that that's showing up in different areas of your life Mm -hmm. and how where you go under stress or relaxed conditions and how your wing influences that. Mm
0: -hmm. You've talked about wings. Maybe Mm -hmm. you want to explain what wings are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So every type has a type to the right and left because of the the circular nature of the enneagram Mm -hmm. and so those types are considered what can be your wing type and so for the one for instance their wing can either be the nine or the two Mm -hmm. and so that is really something that enhances the way you you experience and work with your initial type so a one With a nine wing is going to tend more towards while they have that order and structure element, they also value the peace and harmony element as well in the nine. So there's kind of a collection of those personality traits from both types, with the Mm -hmm. primary type being the one. Right. So everybody has, you know, the, the two adjacent. Types that are wings. And so, different, interestingly, with the Enneagram, there's a bunch of different theories. Um, and so, there's variance in how the experts view these things as mm-hmm. to how wings un- unfold and emerge and what that looks like. So, some will say you really have a dominant wing, others will say that you can access both. But what I've heard primarily is that you have a dominant wing to your type. And then typically, as you get older, you tip to developing the other wing as well. And that happens more later in life.
0: I, 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 I think that's true. I know for me as an, a knight, I think when I was younger, I had much, a much stronger one wing mm-hmm. as trying to get things right and trying to, you know, the perfectionist tendency. And now as I've gotten older, I would say I have more of an eight wing, more mm-hmm. of a... An ability to take charge when I need to.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've seen that unfold personally mm-hmm, for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, so if someone's a three, are do some people have like more of a split
1: with their wing than other people? So again, I think there's... Disagreement on that. Mm. I personally, I can speak to what I've seen in my office sure. and as a therapist, kind of what I observe. And absolutely, I think that sometimes people are more split between the two and can access both pretty equally. Mm-hmm. And then others are very dominant in one, and really the other type is pretty non-present um, or dominant in the other. Mm-hmm. So I've I've definitely seen both. I've also seen a shift. I think when In the process of therapy, as you're working through some pretty profound transformation, Mm -hmm. you can absolutely see some of the ways the Enneagram unfolds in that with development.
0: Do you think that um, we're born? So this is another thing I've heard a lot of people talking about. Are we born with a particular Mm -hmm. bent towards being a number, a nine or an eight or two? Or... I've heard others say that something happens in childhood. All of us are wounded in some way. No parent is perfect, and every child at some point is disappointed. Mm -hmm. And that the number is what you kind of put on as a grid to deal with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great. What's been your experience? Yeah. It's a great question. My experience personally, I think this fits with kind of the scientific nature nurture debate how much is this genetic versus how much of it unfolds during the environment and so my from what i've observed it's there's kind of this biological entrenched kind of um propensity or predisposition Mm -hmm. to a type right and what i've observed is that the environment influences How healthy we are in the development of that type type. so we haven't talked about the levels of development yet but there's nine levels of development that are recognized that you can move through in any given type and the the levels of development are all the same and so it goes from unhealthy to average to healthy Um, and the they'll say, especially at the Enneagram Institute, that you can move between those levels in any given day, at any Mm -hmm. given moment, Mm -hmm. in different contexts, might lend themselves to different levels. But I think um, our general levels of development are much more defined by our early experiences and by trauma and by Mm -hmm. kind of the growing up shaping environment that we had. Right, right. That makes sense. How is that? So...
0: I don't want to get too complicated for people if this is the first time they're hearing about Enneagram. But if for, for people to visualize the Enneagram, it's the nine numbers at the top. Right. And then it goes one through eight kind mm-hmm. of like clockwise. Yes. And they're connected with lines. So mm-hmm. a nine, a six, and a three are connected. Connected in a triangle. In mm-hmm. a triangle. Right. Yep. So... In, as far as unhealthy, I've read that a nine goes to six, a little bit more fearful uh-huh. when they're not healthy. How is that different than the stages of development you're talking
1: about? Yep, that's a great question. So the stages of development I've, I'm talking about are really referring to this idea that we move through different developmental levels depending on how um, how kind of, mature our growth is at that Mm -hmm. particular moment and again it can change from moment to moment right so that is the same for every single type so we can either be unhealthy average or healthy in our levels of development and healthy looks more like in general more socially conscious and aware and Mm -hmm. present and Um, more grounded, and oftentimes when you're at your highest level of development, you can actually look like you can access all nine types. Mm
0: -hmm. So you have
1: access to, and the ultimate goal is to be able to move between the types or have access to those. At your lowest level of development, that's where we actually see, and they'll talk about different examples of real pathology. So at the very lowest stages, they're they're talking about people who – um, maybe experiencing significant trauma, significant mm-hmm. mental health issues, and mm-hmm. that's where you're seeing things like schizophrenia mm-hmm. or psychopathologies or OCD that's very, very entrenched, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. So those are the levels of development. And then separately, there are the things that you go to under relaxed conditions and under stressful conditions. Okay and that is different for each type. So the levels right. of development are same for the types.
0: Okay. Okay. But I understand what you're saying now. Yeah, but okay. the
1: for, and I can speak briefly to the um the relaxed and stressful conditions. Right. So what what the Enneagram Institute says is that for a 6 for example, Under relaxed conditions, they go to type 9. So they're able to access the receptivity and groundedness of the Mm 9. And under stressful conditions, they'll go to a 3, which leads to more of the workaholism and Mm -hmm. emotionally distant. So each type goes to different, flips to different types under relaxed and stressful conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how that plays out, which is, again, that adds more to the nuance of it. Because somebody can mistype themselves as if they are constantly in a state of stress or pretty right. regularly in a state of stress, they may mistype as what they are under stressful conditions rather than their core type
0: that makes sense that makes sense to me, yeah, because I've had people tell me I think I'm a, a you know let's say a nine, and I've known them over a long period of time, mm-hmm. And I don't think there are nine. I think they're in a nine space right now. Yeah. Maybe?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That
0: really there are six?
1: Absolutely. But yeah. And Suzanne Stabil, who's one of the authors of The mm-hmm. Road Back to You, she even spoke to this in a podcast I heard her on where she was saying that she was working with combat veterans. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she noticed was that they were mis. a lot of them were mistyping as a type that they would be under stress. Right because especially if they were traumatized in that combat setting. Sure, sure. They were coming back so stressed that they were mistyping. And that's so interesting. It's an important nuance and that's right. why typology or finding that core type isn't isn't always as readily apparent or mm-hmm. easy to discern as people think it is. Right. And so I often hear people wanting to type their family members and yeah. friends <laughs> and they're doing so based more on kind of the, some of the behaviors they're seeing. Right. Which may not be an accurate indication right. of who that what that person's type and is, and you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Exactly, what's what's really at, driving that right. is is the key issue. Right, right. Why don't you talk
0: about the, um, what is it? Anger, fear, and shame. Yeah, triads? yeah. The the triads. Because I think that's helpful to kind of figure
1: out your number two. Absolutely. So there's so many layers to it, right. and one of the layers. There is that each type has um, or there's three core emotions okay and there are three types that have each of the emotions so for instance eight nine and one all have anger as their core primary emotion they use it very differently depending on the type Mm mm-hmm so eights are very externalized with their anger where it could be combative or aggressive. and That's how they appear at times, right? So the anger is very present and palpable with mm-hmm. eights. And then with nines, it can be very in- repressed. And so there's a lack of awareness at times for nines of the anger. right? Um, and, and most people would not view them as angry at all, but quite the opposite. And so that's kind of the repression of the mm-hmm. anger. And then ones internalize their anger. And that goes back to what you were talking about with the internal self-critic. Mm-hmm. A lot of that anger gets channeled into kind of this in, internal self-critical perfectionistic place. Mm. So 8, 9, and 1 is anger as the core emotion. And it also aligns with what we'll call the head-heart-gut triad. Right. So those three are also in the gut triad, and the gut is kind of the instinctual core. So they operate out of a place of their gut or instinctual responses mm-hmm. as well. So anger is the primary with kind of this instinctual or gut-based response approach. Tell me tell me what you mean by
0: gut. Like, Can you give me like a scenario that would be gut-based yeah so so
1: for an eight, it might mean that if they're operating out of their gut or instincts that they're going to react very quickly and instinctually they'll just kind of make a decision out of that and move into a reactive kind of state or it might that might look like fight mode so Mm -hmm. very much based on whatever the instinct is at the time that's driving that right right
0: and i know as a nine i often my body will react to things before i'm right cognizant of what I'm feeling yes so being in the gut I assume that's part of being in the gut absolutely yeah my body will start to feel something like okay why are
1: you why are you reacting this way and then then I have to think about it Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely that the awareness of the body or Mm -hmm. the body experiencing those things whether whether those types are aware of it or not sure it shows up there first typically
0: what does it look like for a one? Uh, ones feel like more calculated. Mm-hmm. The gu- being in the gut triad sounds, doesn't sound right to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> for a one. Yeah. So what that looks like for a one instinctually, a lot of that kind of gets internalized too. So, so it's very kind of the internalized body response. And so a lot of times for ones, you'll see issues with them around the body like, Ones can often struggle with the perfectionistic tendencies with things like eating disorders. Okay. So that can be an example of how that plays out because the the instincts in them are kind of get internalized or suppressed into their body. Okay. So it shows up very differently. In the three. For each type. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So gut triad and then the heart triad. Yep. The heart triad is next. And the heart triad is two three and four so that's the helper the helper the the effective or performer and the individualist or creative okay. so yep the two three and four and they um, that's the heart triad it's also the shame okay. triad so shame is their core emotion and that plays out differently for each type there as well um, it's very um, externalized for the two mm-hmm. the shame I want people to love me. If they don't love me, I'm going to do a lot to generate that. And there's a lot of external action around okay. it. It's internal, it's repr- I'm sorry, repressed for the three. So the three okay. will repress shame and be very unaware of it. Mm-hmm. And the four will internalize shame and withdrawal. Fours are often known for being kind of like the, the brooding and melancholy mm-hmm. creative. That you'll often hear about so that can be a very withdrawn depression or depressed state around shame for them whereas the three will will repress it the three is a performer they'll repress it and work in overdrive to achieve or for performance okay so they are the heart types the heart type also means the emotions so they experience through their feelings Mm -hmm. and so for the two it's very externally emotive as well of again wanting to bring others in, wanting to kind of create a, a community that feels very loving and warm and that they're ingrained in with that. And then the three, um, their emotions get often kind of driven into their work and how they express and create their work. Mm-hmm. And then for the four, the creative, their emotions are, are very internalized as well and then and then can often generate that creative process. Mm.
0: And then 5, 6, and 7. Yep.
1: So 5, 6, and 7, that's the last triad. And that is the head triad. And it's also the fear triad. Mm-hmm. So the, their primary or core emotion is fear. And they operate out of their head. So they'll go into their brain or intellect to work things out and try and resolve things mm-hmm. um, as they come up. But that plays out differently for each type. So for the 5, In terms of being um, the fear based type their fear is very internalized and so it gets it gets withdrawn and they go in with their fear and they're very intellectual again that kind of wise detached observer and that's where they go with it and try and work things out in their head apart from others Mm -hmm. and for the sixth the the fear can be repressed and so that they will kind of up the ante and and engage in things intellectually that they think will resolve the fear, but that end up spinning around it rather than resolving it. Mm -hmm. And then for the seven, it's more of an externalized fear that actually leads to that pain avoidance. Okay. So they avoid it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: That's fascinating. Um, What do you think... And I didn't ask you this ahead of time, so <laughs> I'm pointing out the spot a little. <laughs> no worries. If I were going to put a team together uh-huh. and I was going to put one of one of each type, yeah. what would I be getting? What's the good stuff that I would get from each of the types?
1: Mm. So you mean from each of the triads? Or, or the each, each type,
0: one through nine. So if I had a one on my team, mm-hmm. what would be the benefit of having a one
1: on my team? Right. Well again this can be it's a great question it it can end up being reductionistic because okay, right. people play out differently oh, sure, sure, but sure. i'm happy to answer it in terms of what we would typically think of would show up so for right. the one there would be a lot of order and structure that they bring to the table mm. right that yeah. they're they're able to kind of create that order um in their environment and and even in the situation they also tend to be very can be very articulate and very um, able to convey and process and absorb and articulate mm. the meaning of things, okay. so they bring that to their environment. The, the two is going to bring the the collaboration mm-hmm. really well to their environment. They want to garner love and affection and support, and so they're going to really create that that kind of warmth mm-hmm. in their space. <clears throat> and then the three is going to bring that industrious. Effectiveness or performance so they're very going to be very driven and and the one can be driven as well with task orientation Mm -hmm. Again, depending on motivations, but so the three can really bring kind of that drive to the table And then the four can bring that creative those creative elements Mm -hmm. to the table where they're really looking at things from kind of that unique perspective um, Or that kind of different creative space, right the five will be kind of the expert in the room and might sit back and absorb and synthesize all the information and then just add in a few brilliant data points Mm -hmm. here and there. (laughs) And then you won't hear from them again for the rest of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The six can bring, you know, the the collaboration piece as well Mm -hmm. to the table. They also bring because of their desire for loyalty, they can bring that element of collaboration and simultaneously can also kind of challenge ideas Mm -hmm. in a way that helps people to think of things from different vantage points.
0: We have a a six on leadership, I won't give her up, but at at Horizon, and I'm always thankful to her because she sees things that are not safe Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: that should be thought through Like for the kids or the congregate, like do we have a fire escape plan? Right, those kind of things that I would not think of, Mm
1: -hmm. but I so
0: appreciate that
1: Mm -hmm. she does think of those things. Yeah, yeah, sixes can certainly identify the worst case scenarios. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad (laughs) thing at any given point, absolutely. Yeah, and be able to point that out. So, yeah, there's there can be a real safety consciousness there that they bring to the table as well. Yeah. The sevens can bring joy to the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can bring they're kind fun. of that, that levity right. and lightness. Yeah. Absolutely. And then eights can bring kind of the the leadership mm-hmm. and charge to the table where they're they're willing to take on the leadership role. Get something done. Yeah, absolutely. And and drive and influence that power and energy. Mm-hmm. And then the nines bring that harmony to the table where they can help to synthesize the group mm. when the group needs to be you know re-leveled sure in that way sure
0: well that's great thank you yeah um so what is the spiritual benefit do you think there's a spiritual benefit to the enneagram it's gotten very big within christian circles yeah um which is interesting to me as to why and is right. there a spiritual benefit to this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, to speak first to why it's gotten popular in Christian circles, right. I think it's been popular in in Catholic circles mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of uh, experts in it and in Catholicism, including mm-hmm. Richard Rohr and and some of the other staples in right. the field, um, I think it's become much more popular in evangelical circles right. within the last few years. And I think a, the road back to you helped to catalyze that. It it's a more evangelical approach that provides more language that might be palatable mm-hmm. to an evangelical perspective. Some of the um, some of the language in Richard Rohr's book, for instance, he he has a couple books out, but some of that can be less accessible to evangelicals and okay. kind of the spiritual framework that they're used to. Right. And I think that's why it's really caught on. It was also that they published an intervarsity press. And so that's a very popular right. um, press for evangelicals. And so it's really developed and grown from there, from some of those. So I think there's tremendous spiritual benefits to it in terms of Being able to assess where we are in our growth and development and Mm. being able to look at how that aligns with that sanctification process or spiritual journey that we're going through. And there's just so many ripe kind of intersections between what the Enneagram provides in terms of a spiritual journey of growth and development and the Mm. sanctification process. So I think there's a lot of cool ways that that can play out and and some really amazing books around it too.
0: Can you give me an example like an unnamed person or a made up scenario <laughs> of of yeah. how somebody how it like really helped their spiritual journey?
1: Yeah. Yeah, let me let me think about that for a moment in terms of kind of what would be most useful for this. Um I think <clears throat> I think if, if you were to look at somebody who, who is a nine, and I'll pick on nines. I hope you don't sure. mind. No, <laughs> not at all. It's not that that I'm referring to here <laughs> as a disclosure. Yeah. So um, the, the desire for harmony, the desire mm-hmm. for peace. One of the things that can come out of that in terms of the spiritual growth element is, is looking at the motivations, is what's driving that. In the, in the Christian community, that desire for harmony can look like such a profound spiritual gift and it is mm-hmm. at times it is so profound but it's all about what drives us mm-hmm. right so if someone's able to say i'm actually doing that to please the people in my life so that i can avoid these areas of conflict right then that allows for them then to say okay what are the spiritual implications of this mm-hmm. What are the spiritual implications of that conflict avoidance? Right. And how's that playing out in my life right now? Right. And so that can then be redeemed, right? Right. To be able to say there is a time and a place for harmony, and I want that to be driven out of love and care for others Mm -hmm. rather than the conflict avoidance. Right. And so yep. as they grow, then they can have harmony at times, but then they also can say, I can now access these other elements of types that give me more of a range of mm-hmm. access mm-hmm. to who I am fully intended and created to be. Right. And one of the things that Richard Rohr says is that the goal is that we are ultimately able to connect our head, our heart mm-hmm. and our gut Mm-hmm. By having all of the types accessible to us. Right. And he says that Jesus, as the ultimate example, had all was all of the types. Right. Had the ability to be all of that. And so That's our good. goal is to really transcend this entranced attachment to our type. Right. To be able to move beyond that to access it all.
0: Right. I think um, part of what I'm learning is that this is a kind of a, a window, a grid I'm seeing the world through. Yeah. Um. But it's not, I don't have to see the world through that grid. If mm-hmm. I'm in Christ, I can start to not judge it, but start to let some of it go. Right. To become more like him. I'm not mm-hmm. stuck in this yeah. and space.
1: I, absolutely. So it's a lens that we see things mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And with that lens, there's blind spots. There can be absolutely right. distortions in that. So... One of the metaphors I love for that is holding it loosely, holding our type loosely mm-hmm. so we're aware of it. We understand that that's how we operate out of, but we also know that that doesn't mean we kind of entrench into it further right? and dig into that and say, okay, that's all who I'm created to be because that would be too reductionistic mm-hmm. to contain the full scope of our humanity. Right. And so it's saying, how do we move beyond that or transcend that?
0: That's good. I think I think too. It's helpful with the numbers to know your your fear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so if your fear is like as a one that you're going to be corrupt, mm-hmm. to allow the spirit to speak into that to heal
1: that scripture to speak into that mm-hmm. of who we are in Christ. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I see a lot around the spiritual distortions hmm. and hyper-spiritualizations that can occur based on different types. So if somebody is afraid of being corrupt right. and they're driven by that, they're they're going to look through that lens and say, when I see other Christians acting in this way, they are less, they're being more sinful than I am because they're acting out mm. my biggest fear. Right. And what I think is kind of the epitome of sin. So each type has kind of that classic epitome epitome of sin yeah. that they hold to and then they miss, right? you know, that that's just one area of needed growth. Right, right. That's, that's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And there is just, again, so many layers to right. all of that. Right. And you're
0: and, only scratching the surface. Right. What, what do you think, it, all right, do you think we're asking too much of the Enneagram? Can we ask too much of it? Um I see people like just jumping on this number and staying on the surface and almost using like an excuse. Right. We've talked about how that's
1: not really what it is meant for. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think people are asking too much of it? Um, Certainly, some people are. I think that there, um, I think there there are absolutely limitations to the enneagram. I think there are also at times limitations to our Mm -hmm. own ability to. Perceive and understand the depths of it, mm-hmm. depending on where we are developmentally, depending on what's going on in our life and stress and trauma and things like that. So that's part of it, too, is mm-hmm. our own limitations around that. But certainly it's not the end all be all. And, um, you know, as Christians, we want to interpret that through the lens of scripture right. as well. Right? right. And understanding how do we get regrounded in um truth mm-hmm. and regrounded in who God is really calling us to be. And there's certainly ways that that can go off the rails sure. with the Enneagram in the ways that people distort it at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it certainly needs to be filtered through other lenses as well.
0: That's good. Um, so if, if people are interested in knowing their number, yeah. what, where can they go for like a test or what, what do you recommend or a book?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the Enneagram Institute has their test and that's one of the main um, places that you can go to. It's probably the easiest to access. Mm-hmm. They have several options for assessments that you can take that are either free or, or inexpensive. So that's probably the easiest resource for that in terms of books, I mean, there's a whole host of books, depending on what people are looking for. And I can kind of speak to some of those. Okay. Um, but also, I would say one of the things that I think is a, one of the best ways to kind of experience and unfold the Enneagram slowly is through the Ennea, it's called the Ennea Thought of the Day. Mm-hmm. And it's the Enneagram Institute. And you can Um, Give them your email address and tell them what type you think you are. You can even do a couple types. Mm -hmm. And then they'll just send you daily thoughts on that type and kind of some things to reflect or meditate on for that day. Right. Um, And so that kind of presents it to people in eyedropper fools where they can just take this little quip and they Mm -hmm. can go throughout their day and kind of assimilate it and see how it fits. Mm -hmm. So that can be really helpful too. In terms of books, *The Essential Enneagram* by David Daniels is a really good basic primer okay. for that. Um, just very basic, very helpful, clear, concrete. The I love Helen Palmer. She's mm. she's not talked about nearly as much in no. the Enneagram world, but I think she's. Just a great resource for that. And she has a book that's just called The Enneagram, but it has narrative style with stories from each individual type, mm. which I love that narrative element. And yeah. I love that each type kind of brings their story to the table in that mm-hmm. book. She also has um, The Enneagram in Love and Work. So mm. it's looking at how The Enneagram plays out in, its, in primary relationships, either attachment relationships or work relationships as well and kind of troubleshooting relations relational problems through the lens of the Enneagram okay and then the wisdom of the Enneagram by Rizzo and Hudson is also a great just practical Mm. guide and they also have prompts for journaling and growth Mm. so one of the reasons that people really appreciate the Enneagram for kind of spiritual growth and direction is that there are a lot of primers that go that work adjacent to it, Mm -hmm. where you can take those and really kind of have a tangible process to inform spiritual growth. And Mm. a lot of people feel like spiritual growth can just be so nebulous or esoteric. And so to be able to really define it and delineate it more clearly and how they want to go through those steps to dialogue with it can be very helpful.
0: That makes sense. Because if you look at your, the stages of development, where you go in stress, where you go and health right it helps you kind of give language to where am i
1: mm-hmm. even spiritually healthy where am yes, i yes to am getting I? your moorings in that right yeah right absolutely and then they'll have very concrete exercises depending mm-hmm. on the type that are type specific mm-hmm. which is really helpful because again different types learn differently right and they experience growth differently and so to have it so uniquely tailored to that is is really phenomenal right so and then a couple other books we've mentioned the Road Back to You by Ian Cron and Susan Stabile um, and that has also a study guide with it and they also have their podcast right so that's another cool thing is that there's a lot of great podcasts right. out there the just has it just a great overview podcast where they interview Ian Cron and Susan mm-hmm. Stabile that talks about the Enneagram um, there's also I don't know if, if if you've heard this, but there's a whole new <clears throat> album out for where that has songs for each type. I've have heard you heard about, about this? it? I have not listened to it yet. It's really incredible. Is it "Sleeping at Last"? It's called "Sleeping at Last" by Atlas, and it's um, a really incredible compilation. Hmm. And so, what he does is he actually asks the different types kind of what their favorite sound effects or instruments mm. or music Oh, interesting! what those were and then he used those as kind of the core for how he developed out the song mm-hmm. and in the song he moves with each type from what's called disintegration to integration mm. so he moves from what they look like in an unhealthy place to what it looks like for them to be in a healthy place which is those levels of development so it's such a, a cool um, and profound way to look at the enneagram yeah, I'll through that. Yeah, I have to that. listen to that. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it really sounds cool. really neat. And so I think the multi-sensory, multi-faceted approach is really helpful mm-hmm. to be able to pull from podcasts and songs, and um, as well as just different valuable books. And then the Enneagrams Christian uh, from a Christian perspective by Richard Rohr is a classic. Okay, and that's a yeah. really great one. Yeah. Have you read The
0: Sacred Enneagram? I have not. I've heard good things. I think it's Christopher Huertz. Huertz. Yeah. I thought it was very good. And it talks about silence, solitude. Um, There's a third one. I should have looked it up before it came tonight. But kind of what numbers need silence, what number needs solitude. Um, Mm -hmm. And what, you know, kind of what spiritual practice might mm-hmm. benefit a particular number. Yeah, absolutely. Then you stillness. Can, that was the third uh, stillness. one. Stillness, mm-hmm. because um, some don't want to be alone. So sometimes it's good for that person to have solitude to pull away. Right. Or if you're a noisy person, mm-hmm. depending on your number, silence, solitude, and stillness were the three spiritual practices he goes through. And it,
1: it and it has an overview of the numbers as well well and that's one of the amazing things is that the Enneagram tradition really draws from the Christian mystics as well mm -hmm. and a lot of the spiritual mysticism in ways that have just such profound teachings around spiritual meditation and practice and so the fact that they're able to tailor that to different types and what they would appreciate really and and the things that they would struggle with to enhance those and grow those is really helpful that's great thanks Amy
0: thank you so much for having me so, I have three questions I try to ask people. okay, Just you personally. yeah, what is feeding your soul right now?
1: Oh, what is feeding my soul? I have um, I have really been enjoying and the getting into kind of, um spiritual gospel music from mm. the African tradition. Oh neat. So that has been really cool to just kind of look at more of like liberation theology right. and classic African American Theology that came out of slavery and came out of the development of that. Sure. So, and and kind of the spiritual traditions that that grew from it. Right. So that's one of the things that has been feeding my soul right now is kind of just being able to grow and learn through that. I love
0: it. Can I ask, um, what's your growing edge? What's challenging you right now?
1: Yeah. I'm a business owner. Yeah. (laughs) It is no joke. No, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that has absolutely been challenging me yeah. in some really awesome ways. And in the last year we hired three staff members wow. and they're rock employees stars, they're and three, that, three yeah. employees, they're rock stars. So that's awesome. Good. So we're really kind of enjoying, I'm enjoying kind of getting into even more of mentoring mm-hmm. roles. That's been a, you know, something I've enjoyed for a long time, but really being mm-hmm. able to do that and to kind of. Cultivate a community and ch- intentionally choose what the community looks like for our counseling firm. Yeah, because we're we're very kind of intentional about wanting it to be um, in the city. That's where our counseling firm is, right. and to really be a microcosm and represent community and play out community in a way that we think is really essential.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so great. And what's coming up for you? What's on the horizon?
1: yeah what is on the horizon so um continuing to bro- grow our practice is a big part mm-hmm. of that um, as we do that i'm going to be able to pull back from clinical hours a little bit more and do a little bit more of the speaking and writing that i really love okay. as part of it and good. so yeah i don't have specific topics in mind yet but yeah. they're in the works and so yeah as as we're growing good Good. That's exciting. Well, thank you,
0: Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm hoping maybe we'll do more of these. Maybe awesome. take on some types and have some people come who are those types and, and talk about that. Or
1: Great. Um,
0: I would love to do. I know people are really interested in the Enneagram. Uh, if you'd like more information about Tara Counseling, you can find information at terabaltimore.com.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Right? Yep. Great. And if you'd like to know, listeners, more about Horizon Church, check out our website at horizontowson.com. We are a community where you will be loved and have opportunities to be loved. Thank you so much for joining us on the horizon.